The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. ...or something like that. But when we think of patience as like Valentine's Day patience, having an open heart, abiding in an open heart, patiently abiding, we can see how it infuses all of the other paramis. It's a very wise thing to do to abide in patience. Not sure I'm on. But it doesn't sound very loud. But uh, anyhow, um, yeah, turning toward opening the heart is a wise gesture. Um, Allowing energy to release the obstacles to the open heart. Generosity of the open heart. We haven't gotten to resolve yet, but the, the first bodhisattva vow is, I vow to save all sentient beings. Sentient beings are numberless. I vow to save them. A very open-hearted, magnificently open-hearted gesture. Um, of course, open heart does not harm. So ethics, uh, loving kindness, metta, equanimity, Calm, loving heart, equanimity. So patience is the uh, is a great capital P, great uh, virtue. Not necessarily a grin and bear it patience, but a abiding, freeing, liberating patience. So let's uh, let's meditate. So allowing the mind to settle and allowing the heart to open. And whatever came in here with you, any any anxieties or concerns or worries or aversions or just disengage not necessarily snuff them out just sort of disengage from the the mental activities you know let them be let the mind be 
and come into the body softly, gently, into the body, into the heart. The mind is useful, of course, but it divides things, compares, measures, judges, criticizes. So we go to the heart that unifies, opens, widens, and maybe a little surge of joy comes forth. Or maybe some feeling of ease or contentment as we let go, disengage with the thoughts and come into the body. Our true home, it's so nice here. softening the shoulders and the throat. Softening around the heart, the chest and the belly. And let the energy rise from the hips through the spine, through the back, through the shoulders, through the neck. softening the head. The jaw. The face. Softening, opening widening like a landscape. And just being patient with this. gentle surrender. there's some edginess in the mind, allow it to settle.
relax any striving. Allowing the heart to open. But not striving for that, just effortless opening. Like we don't force a flower to blossom, just allow it. Hold this space. Allow love into this space, kindness into this space. widening boundlessly into some boundless peace, boundless ground of peace that is here, ocean of peace. Patience and peace both begin with P. It's that kind of patience abiding in peace, disengaging from any agitations of the mind. Maybe there's some silence here. This is what we long for. abide in our true home, not having to be anything or defend or doubt, just be with an open heart, a kind heart, kind to ourselves. ourselves a big valentine.
all the time in the world to settle into this. All the time in the world to appreciate this moment, this life, to touch it. Deeply satisfying patience, contentment, like the happiness of a puppy or an animal. This is the territory of kindness and openness. Nothing to figure out. Allow the mind to be spacious, relaxing into the landscape. Gently, simply abiding here. Letting go of any complaining or desperation, wanting, clinging.
we can sense a feeling of devotion to this. softly allowing the strength of patience to penetrate all the shoulds, all the aversions, all the judgments, patiently softening, widening, Is there some contentment here? Some peace here? Letting go of impatience. Surrendering to everything. Surrendering to everything. Allowing the heart to hold everything, to accept everything. Patience is devotion to the heart. Widening, settling. Like the sun, radiant.
So would anyone like to uh, share what their experience was in this meditation? That would be wonderful to hear if you're willing to share. I'd love to hear. I was at a lake uh, in the Sierra, and um, I just want to thank you, David, for everything you said. I just, um, I was just lying with my heart open to the heavens, and uh, pink clouds would appear, uh, and I and I felt the. Felt kind of, kind of like my body was like a pink cloud, just, just dispersing. And um, when you said uh, to that we can include everything, um, that was just so, so helpful. Um, felt an expansion to include a lot, if not everything. <laughs> yeah, it was lovely. And it included um, just being open to whatever um, feelings would would come. I wasn't ordering any particular mm. feelings, and that felt good too. Great. Yeah. Well, let's um, break into small groups. Let's see. We have one, two, three. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. How about groups of two? And um, talk about, uh, well, several things come to my mind to talk about, uh, about patience. These are very positive things. Chris will tell you the negative things. <laughs> um, but uh, no, like uh, you know, about your experience of peace, the, you know, your, the, the, the not, uh, peace in a, in a very positive way, the freedom of peace, your experience of the, how peace has been freeing uh, or, or, or happiness or contentment or liberation. Or, I know these are a lot of general words, but um, just some how peace has been a nice thing for you in, in some way. Yeah, okay? Does that, does that make sense? Does that need more clarification at all? Yeah, okay. So if you could break up into groups of two and um, let's see. We have uh, not too much time. Yeah, we do. We have some time. Yeah, we have. Uh, yeah, so, so maybe uh, take five minutes each.
Okay, so uh, if you haven't yet, could you... Hello? Excuse me. To switch to the other person. And one word I forgot to mention is enjoying. How you, in, you, know, you can enjoy peace. Just adding that to the mix of everything else. I was with Gail, and like t- I was telling her, tomorrow I'm, you know, my my son and his wife. They're taking me to Hawaii to thank me for being a good grandmother, and of course they're bringing the kids. And I don't really want to go. I never asked for this, and they just thought I'd like this. And but I don't really like. I don't like a change in my system, whatever. But um, the meditation, and then talking with Gail, like. You know, I find joy in myself. And there's something that says to you know how to have a good time no matter where you are. You can bring your best friend, which is yourself, which, which is your awareness. And you've got it. You've got this. You've got this. Trust yourself and give yourself that kind of, of, of care and patience uh, because you've got it. And that's how I'm seeing this this ordeal of Maui. Yes. Okay. Okay. Who's going to follow that up? <laughs> that was great. Thank you. I've been dog-sitting and house-sitting for the last 10 days, and I didn't realize what, I don't want to say ordeal, but it would be to transition from my own optimized routine every morning to taking care of two work dogs and they're a cattle dog and a shepherd, and they're smartest act, super smart, and they want to be run all the time. Like my itinerary that the owners gave me was like five times a day, visiting, playing, and I'm like, have my own business too, and so I'm trying to run them at the same time. And it built a certain degree of franticness, and also adjusting to the dog sleep cycle on my own. And on like the second or third night, I had my itinerary of walking the dogs. I was like, all right, guys, we got to get this walk done. Then I get back and feed you again. And then like we play a little bit more. And then, <laughs> and Charlie kept stopping and sniffing like everything three feet. I'm like, Charlie, come on, dude, we got to get going. Like, 30 minute walk. Let's go. And then I just stopped. And I was like, because all that frantiness had built up about caring and nurturing these two dogs. I'm like, nah, like it's okay, Conrad. Just 
breathe, be here. <laughs> and enjoyed the stars. It was a full moon, right? Like we had the last couple days and the smell of smoke uh, from people's fireplaces and the cold air. It was very nostalgic. And then the walks went so much better for me. And I just had that patience, that overflowing confluence of joy. <laughs> so, Yes. <laughs> So patience. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, I I remember the last time we met, and we mentioned that patience was going to be the topic for this month. I saw someone who will remain nameless, um, making a face, <laughs> and um, and I related to that. You know, I had. Oh my goodness, when I was younger, I really had no patience. Um, And it really wasn't until the last probably, you know, 10 or 20 years that I've come to understand that I, I, I needed to work on some patience. That that was something that would bring me, um, a higher quality of life. So, the aspect of patience I'm going to talk about this morning is patient perseverance. And this is one of my um, favorite descriptions. It's that gentle, steady effort over and over and over again. And a great example that comes to mind is uh, when we when we were introducing the Parami class, we said... These are qualities of the heart and mind that the Buddha developed, the Buddha to be, developed over many lifetimes. Many lifetimes. That's the kind of gentle, steady effort. And when I think about that, you know, I just relax, like, oh, I have many lifetimes. And the Buddha also, over and over in the suttas, talked about this Buddhist path, this path of awakening being a gradual path. You know, that long view. That, um, that saying of the journey, not the destination. The one step at a time. The one drop and one drop and one drop that fills the bucket. So that's the kind of gentle, steady effort, patient perseverance. And to say that we all have some degree of this type of patience. So this is really about how do we expand that? How do we cultivate it? And and how do we allow it to unfold and be mindful of it? Bring our awareness and attention to it. And I like this saying very much that 
in this process, I get to be patient with my impatience. This is wonderful. (coughs) Because, right, I mean, we all have patience at some point, you know, during the day, just like we all have mindfulness during the day. And it ebbs and flows. Comes and goes. And so being patient with our impatience. And it is a patient, it it, it is a practice, right? So it's a practice of patient perseverance. Practice means that, you know, sometimes we'll get triggered and our impatience is, you know, out the window there. So I'll be talking about patient perseverance from a daily life viewpoint mostly, but of course this applies to our sitting practice as well. I'm sure all of us have experienced that. And um, to start out with, you know, what is this patient perseverance from a Buddhist perspective? Um, So I like a couple of ways that some people hold this. So, um, you know, Ajahn Sasito, one of the ways he talks about it is this um, holding our heart still in the presence of its suffering until it lets go of the ways in which it creates that suffering. And this to me is such a beautiful, when I, when I read this, when I think about it, which I have a lot the last couple months, and even when I say it, I have this sense of um, just very gentle, tender, softening, holding that heart that, you know, ah, just holding it, oh, just, you know, in the stillness, almost like we would just sit quietly with a friend who's experiencing some kind of unpleasant unpleasantness. So, and I have a sense that there's so much compassion in this, you know, being with our heart. There's this self-compassion practice that talks a lot about the first place we go is, you know, self-soothing, self-compassion. So when we're impatient, it's like, oh, honey, I'm so sorry. I feel that this is, this is hard for you. There's some impatience happening. Let's just be with that. I'll talk more about being with that in a minute, the physical sensations of that and how to work with it. Um, so the other sort of broad brush way of holding this patient perseverance is um, Gil writes about um, not succumbing to doubt, discouragement, and fear. Doubt, discouragement, and fear. I thought, oh yeah, oh yeah, that's right. And it reminds me of, you know, not succumbing to the hindrances, right? And... And in this way, it's very um, much like not giving in to greed, aversion, and delusion, not giving in to our wanting, which is such an interesting feeling, you know. 
I remember one of our readings, we're having such a nice day and all of a sudden wanting happens, you know, and that impatience of, you know, I want that. Um, So those are some of the broad brush definitions. And I, I was, a while back I was really thinking, you know, so what exactly, so patience is always talked about as a virtue. And, you know, what exactly are the benefits here. I know it's a virtue. I know it's good to have, but what exactly are, are the benefits? And I found it um, very interesting. I, I like finding research um, and learning more about what the research um, discovers. And, you know, we don't need research really to um, tell us the benefits of patients, but there is research, so why not look at it? So this one of my favorite organizations, you know, this Greater Good Science Center from UC Berkeley, um, they do all sorts of really good research on these beautiful qualities, um, parmies and, and more. And so they came up with, um, after their study, four specific ways in which we benefit from patients. And I thought these were um, true in my own experience, but just such a good reminder of exactly how this patient perseverance um, benefits the heart and, as you'll hear, relationships. So the first way is that we're more likely to achieve our goals. That's absolutely been my experience, right? willing to pay the dues, willing to delay that immediate gratification. And, you know, two examples that come to mind are IMC and IRC. Finding this building took years. <laughs> Planning, finding, preparing, having... It, it's just, it was It was a very... It was patient perseverance for sure on many people's parts. And the same with IRC. It took years for that and looking at all sorts of properties. And then some of you may remember how many months it took to prepare the place. And so many stories on both of these purchases. But, um, you know, that's the kind of patient perseverance that achieving the goals, the dreams, aspirations... And uh, the second way that I, I really appreciate this is the way they word it is that um, the benefit is that we're better friends and neighbors. And so why is that? Why does the research show that? It shows that we're more cooperative. People who are patient and have this kind of patient perseverance, they're more cooperative, they're more forgiving, and they're more tolerant. Now, those three qualities are amazing. <laughs> and um, in terms of how to work with our interactions with others, forgiving, tolerant, and cooperative. And so, you know, we make better friends and neighbors. And I, I imagine I'm going to just, you know, extrapolate that and say that our relationships are um, also improved with this patient perseverance. And I know in my own experience that is very true. My boyfriend says, I love that you're studying this. <laughs> yes, <laughs> thank you. And um, this, these words, you know, cooperative, forgiving, tolerant patients, this is a kind of emotional maturity, you know, that I was saying, I, I didn't have this when I was younger. I didn't know I didn't have it, actually. 
That's one of the tricky things about patients is if you're impatient, it's kind of your way of being. I didn't know I was impatient. I just, you know, thought that's how we make our way in the world. So when we are better friends and neighbors and our relationships are better, what happens with that? The research shows that we're less lonely and more connected to others. Now this is really important because research is also showing that as we live longer, there's many, many, many people um, who are in their say over 60s, um, who are lonely. And loneliness, they're looking at the, the health um, effects of loneliness, which is um, obviously, it negatively impacts our health. So that's the next benefit. I said there were four. The one is achieving goals. The second is better relationships. And the third is we enjoy better mental health. There's less depression and this less negative thinking, which inspires negative emotions. And and the word negative, you know, is not so great, but um, I would say, uh, or in Buddhism, you know, unskillful thinking and and unhelpful and unhealthy emotions that result with that. So um, those of us who have patient perseverance enjoy better mental health and that spills over into the next one which is better overall health right so that really making sense we're less reactive we're more at ease there's more optimism and this all results in more resilience which is a word that many of us um, I know I hear and read about a lot resilience which is becoming a, an important quality to have as as we age and it, and it also impacts our health so with that um, all those wonderful benefits so how do we you know how do we bring more awareness to our patients how do we bring more um, what we call a lot here in our Buddhist practice, cultivate. How do we cultivate? And, you know, just open to, I just think open to, right? Not not forcing anything, but just opening to, you know, the power of bringing our attention to something opens it up. So bringing our awareness and attention to... Um, these ways of cultivating, you know, just as we cultivate in our metta practice, for example. So, again, I'm going to give the ways that research has shown um, the way we can cultivate and expand our patients. And then I have a whole list of ways that I've developed just through practice. And so, um, you know, I, I, I have some of those written down for you for your breakout groups, but I would say I would encourage all of you to to practice on your own and, and see which ones, you know, what you come up on, on your own. So the research shows um, that there's three specific ways that we can cultivate and expand and strengthen our patients. And the first um, is, they call it reframing. In Buddhism, we'd call it wise view. How are we looking at something? How are we seeing? What's our perspective of our situation? And so, 
One of the ways I'll give an example. Um, there's a saying by Frank, and his last name's difficult for me to pronounce. Frank O. Ozinski. Yes, yes. And he has this five invitations. Um, and one of them is rest in the middle of things. So this reframing, I noticed when I feel overwhelmed and there's just so much happening and, you know, this illusion of um, multitasking is just not real. So this, there's this feeling of overwhelmed, lots happening. And then I remind myself, oh, I'm going to rest right in the middle of all this. Just settle, just be, just open. Feeling overwhelmed isn't actually helping. So can I just be? And I've noticed that when I can just rest, you know, just, and and this, I mean, I'm actually still in the process of doing whatever I'm doing, but it's an internal resting, that things go smoother and things work out, right? So this is the kind of, This is the kind of reframe for me. There's several other examples. You know, one we talk a lot about here is, you know, this is, this too will pass. This isn't permanent. This will change. Anicca. It's not personal. You know, everyone's different. That's what I, everyone's different. They have a different perspective than I do. It's okay. That's okay. So these are all things about reframing wise view and um, there's a subset of this which is really creating meaning and purpose out of the experience which is all about transforming our suffering right so um, for example one of the ways we talk about this transforming our suffering and recovery is like well this difficult experience I am learning from and I'm going to also be able to help others as I move forward, when other people come and they say, oh, I had this, you know, I'm, I'm really struggling with X, Y, and Z. It's like, yeah, yeah, I've, I, I've been there. And, you know, they say, oh, what happened for you? What, what did you do? So this way of creating meaning and purpose out of our difficult experiences. Um, another creating meaning and purpose. Um, I know this is being recorded, but one of the things I do is, you know, going with my family saying, you know what, I'm I'm doing service with my family. I do a lot of service. I do a lot of volunteer work. But, you know, how can I see this? I'm doing service for my family, right? This is, this is something that, um, it may not be something that works for you, but it's it's something that works for me. I'm showing up. I want to, sh- uh, when I say service, I want to show up for my family like I show up in all the other areas of my life, right? It's very important. And um, so the second piece here in terms of cultivating, and this is, I'm not going to talk a lot about because we know this here, mindfulness. So when we're mindful, we're less reactive, we're less impulsive. Um, An aspect of mindfulness that helps with patients is metta. So one of the things one of my practices is when I'm having difficulty with a particular person or situation, sending metta to the group, that group or that person, it just, for me, it really softens my connection. So when I see them, just my heart's holding 
the experience in a different way. And the last one is gratitude. So gratitude, promoting this feeling of abundance, right? There's, if, if we have this wanting a lot, there's not this feeling of abundance. So the impatience comes from the wanting or not wanting. Um, but the gratitude helps with this feeling of abundance and um, allows for that delayed gratification that we talked about earlier. I talked about earlier. So I'm going to um, move into the breakout question and describe this a little bit. And I also have copies of it, so you don't don't worry, <clears throat> because there's several components of this. And, um, you know, you'll get to whatever you get to in your discussions. Um, But what I wanted to have you talk about is choosing, and as, as I describe this, you know, take a moment to, to kind of reflect on what this would be for you. So what one aspect or area of your life would you like to expand or open to or cultivate some patience in practicing patience what one area of your life and choosing one is helpful Firstly, not to overwhelm, but just focusing on on one. And when you have that in your mind, I'll give, you know, for example, being patient towards maybe an aspiration or a goal that you have. It's maybe long-term to you, whatever that means to you. You know, how, how is that maybe that you want to bring some patience to that situation? or bringing some patient perseverance to a relationship, whether it's for with a friend or family or partner. Or maybe it's a health challenge for you, something happening in, in your life health-wise or mental health-wise. And then the second piece is, you know, what benefits do you envision? You know, really to get clear about if if you practice patience with this, what benefits are you envisioning? And the third component is what exactly do you imagine that you'll do differently with this patience practice, right? So there's a saying, if nothing changes, nothing changes. Mm-hmm. So bringing in an intention to being patient is, is definitely a step there. And then how is it that we're going to behave differently, even if it's just one thing, maybe sending metta to someone as part of bringing some patience to that relationship, for example. And I have some other examples for you on this breakout sheet. So 
Uh, let's get in to groups of. Let's see. Two, 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 two. Um, groups of two and then one group of three so that you have time to talk about this. So maybe a different person than you were connected with last time. And um, one group of three. And then I'll go around and give these to you.
found that what you said about um, wanting um, and impatience very interesting because that's related. If you, if you, that's what. Uh, yeah. So I'd like to see the relationship and explore how that. Um, the relationship of wanting something and being impatient. Maybe sometimes I'm more impatient with something I want more. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's right, that feeling in the body of wanting. <coughs> yes, it's did you? And also, I just relate when it says impatience with time. Immediately, and my dad was very impatient and I think I've adopted it. It's a habit, kind of an automatic kind of a conditioning. So I really um, want to work with that so I can be where I am. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for that. I, I really appreciate that. I was in the military, and um, everything was... Uh, you could not even be two seconds late. So I really relate to that. And I, over the years, had to sort of undo all of that piece and um, and the relationship when I'm with people who are late and, you know, our sense of timing, you know, that was, that was another practice too. So, yeah. And, uh, all right. So I am, we're going to take a break here. And um, come back in about 10, 15 minutes. Oh, I forgot to bring the sign-up sheet, but we're still, if you, we're still open for anybody who wants to talk to us one-on-one. So, um. Okay, welcome back. <clears throat> so I'm sort of wondering how it is I agreed to take on this part of the program, but... <laughs> <laughs> so Jennifer somehow found a, uh, something that some Dharma quote that the three aspects of patience are like truth and perseverance and forbearance under insult. <laughs> so, um, but I, I can definitely relate to forbe- forbearance is a translation that I've seen a lot for patience. So it's bearing with life is the name of the chapter that Ajahn Suchito wrote on this. You know, so we're 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 really things are challenging right things come up that throw us off and that are very very difficult so part of this is a big part of this is how to work with situations that are really kind of in your face challenging and difficult um you know and we're certainly our human wiring seems to be toward escalation you know, when something difficult happens, it brings our defenses forward, and then the thing can very easily escalate. So, how can we learn? But you know where that goes. That goes to all the way to violence sometimes. And so, wh- how can we become kind of agents of de escalation in these circumstances? And how can we. Because you know you don't really ever you don't really ever learn something or change your mind or anything when you're in the, caught in the grip of that defensive reactivity. That's we always think we're gonna, you know, prevail, but only the 
only on the crudest level of <laughs> getting rid of are we ever, we don't prevail. So how, how can we wisely work with those moments? <clears throat> so I just have to have a disclaimer. I, 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 I don't know. <laughs> this is not some particular strength or area of mastery of mine, but it's an area of great inspiration for my practice. So I'm really going to talk as much about <laughs> as much about you know how we practice with this, and also how does how do these how are these situations inspire us to practice deeper? Because it's it's cases edge cases like this that really bring the Dharma alive for me, and that make me really appreciate the deeper and deeper levels of the teachings and what we are asked to look at in ourselves and learn to see and let go of. So, um, so I, I would like to suggest that we start, and I've learned most a lot from this, is to start in situations that are not, of course, we don't get to choose where we start. It's all happening all the time. But where you can begin to maybe get some some uh, traction on this is in situations, maybe to begin with, just where you're alone and you're listening to something or you're taking in information that doesn't sit right with you. You know, something that... Or you're watching something on the news or on media of some sort that upsets you. So it's a chance to really notice... It's all about mindfulness to notice what that you've been impacted in this way and how have you been impacted. So, um, you know, there's plenty of times when you're just making stuff up or you're rehashing something that happened a long time ago. So you're not right in the moment of an interpersonal situation, but you're you're in one of those things where you're you're feeling under insult or something that something is in you has been threatened. So. There's a really profound Dharma teaching that it's a kind of a description of liberation where there's no place for things to land in you. You know? It's like you've completely let go of all of your clinging so that nothing, and identification and so forth, so that nothing has any place to land in you. So imagine just it going through you like the breeze, you know, but of course that's not where we usually are. <laughs> fully liberated are we so things land somewhere so we can start to we can use these patients teachers of these situations as mirrors for where where we're holding and where we're clinging and where we're what we're wanting the topic of wanting was brought up earlier what are we attached to that's being threatened here right so the most useful thing is to really work, as Jennifer's, as we've all been pointing out this morning, is to really work with your your bodily awareness and your inner connection. I loved what Noelle said about, you know, she knows that she's got this inner friend that she's taking with her on her ordeal in Maui, and <laughs> which we're all so sorry for. <laughs> sorry, I can't resist. Anyway, <laughs> um, but I, no, I do know what you mean about big hollow blues. Anyway, <laughs> um, so where where are we being touched? You know, what is 
this basic mindfulness of really taking the time to name the emotion that's been triggered. Is this fear or anger? You know, turn to noticing its effects. Where have you, have you gripped somewhere in your body? Um, is all, where is your attention going? Usually it's, it's all rushing up into some kind of defensive formation, which might be in your head if you're a, if you're a, I have to argue them out of this kind of person, it's all gone up to your head. If you're more physical, maybe it's all gone into your arms and hands, you've got to punch your way out of this. Then also, as we practice the more positive parts of our practice, I mean, the more, you know, learning to be in touch with our bodies in an open and calm way, then we have a chance to see what's been cut off in these challenging situations, in these situations that require some kind of forbearance. So where are our, like our muscles of forbearance? <laughs> they're, they're not exactly muscles, but neither, we're not turning into little puddles, you know, of, let, of letting, you know, really difficult things just, we're not becoming doormats. We're, ha- we're finding inner strength. Patience is based on strength, you know, as well as softness and open-heartedness. It's a kind of inner integrity and coherence that can't be disturbed by what's happening. So it, it, it has both these qualities of that it passes right through and it passes right through because of some kind of, some kind of inner coherence that also is able to act when it's appropriate to act. So you can start to notice what parts of your body have you lost touch with. You know, and this is, this is all hard to do in the moment of a face-to-face interaction. But if you work with your, if you have tendencies to rehash things that have going on, gone on or to be affected by media that you're looking at, you can work at it then. You know, what, how am I just, oh, I'm in a state of reactivity or defensiveness and what, what have I lost contact with? So what's happening to my breath, right? So I, it's, it's very helpful to me to really feel into what would feel, what would be holding some sense of groundedness, but not, not tight, but where have I lost contact, you know? And it's usually somewhere around the, you know, the torso, the breath, the, the back. I don't know. There's a whole flow through the body that gets cut off. Um, and then what kind of thought patterns are triggered? You know, where's your mind going with this? Worst case scenarios, right? That can be a big one. If, some, if there's a slight threat in what's being said, oh, you know, the worst thing will happen. Um, blaming revenge, all, you know, you can characterize where your mind goes with these things. Does it make you generalize about people? Does it send you off into practicing endlessly what little zingers you could give back to them as if that would help? So learning your patterns and becoming familiar with them. <clears throat> so you probably all know Viktor Frankl, right? He, he's famous survivor of concentration camps, which was one of the more incredibly difficult things to manage. And just a couple of quotes from him. When we are no longer able to change a situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. So, you know, that 
we can't always fix everything. We can't, we can't make other people be different than they are. We can't think of the right word to say. We can't, we can't get things to change. But you can look at challenging to change yourself. And then the very, very well-known quote from him, between the stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. So this quality of patience and forbearance is the ability to create and maintain that space, basically. So it's a space, In someone was mentioning time, it's a, it's a space in our reaction time, it's a space in time, and it's also a space in the sense of an inner safe location, an inner temple that we can't be chased out of by what other people say or do. And as I was saying, it's not just a space in the sense of a vacuum, but it's this deep inner coherence and connectedness flow, very related to the breath and the circulation and the complete reach of awareness throughout our whole, our whole, uh, our whole being that can embrace originally ourselves, and then it can grow out to embrace the other person and the whole situation. And that's a feeling of having all of our faculties online and working together. So the reason that insults and threats, of course, are so often used as weapons is that they get people to kind of paralyze themselves, <laughs> right? That's how they work. That's the purpose of a lot of rhetoric that's going on these days, to get people to abandon your own inner resources and, and kind of fall apart. With That's the point. So how can we learn not to do that? Keeping ourselves in awareness and mindfulness and embodiment. So through our practice we learn to see the details when you're working, especially when you can give yourself some time to work with it, you can see the details of exactly how you disconnect, what thought patterns disconnect where in your body, what thought patterns tighten up what parts of your body. So you can learn in these moments of working with yourself, finding certain touch points to ground yourself in difficult circumstances, coming into your body, your face, your hands, your feet on the ground, the center of your body, your breath. Wherever it is that that you abandon and then you feel weaker, in effect, when you're working, when you're trying to meet threats in this escalating kind of way. So this practice actually takes us quite deeply into the Dharma. This recent piece by Tan Jeff I ran into. He says, We may think that the present moment begins with contact at the senses, or like hearing something. So maybe an incident like some incident where you were hurt by something someone said or got into an argument. It may begin with that, but digging down into suffering and its causes, we discover that the present moment includes several steps prior to the sensory contact. Steps determining whether that contact will lead to suffering or not. So one of the most important of these steps is this word sankara, which is variously translated as formations or fabrications. It's the process that fashions our sense of the body and all of our activities of the mind. And it comes prior to sensory contact, even prior to sensory consciousness. So the mind is not simply a passive recipient of contact. Instead, it's proactive. It's on the prowl. It's looking for contact to feed on. 
So we can see this in the way people turn on their personal devices looking for things to aggravate their greed, lust, or anger. So even the point is that even before you hear a sight or hear a sound, you've already, you already have these underwater, underground uh, formations going that create your attention, the perception that they'll shape what you perceive in a moment of contact and what you'll try to get out of it. So what we're, we're learning through our practice is really to uncover these deeper formations. And there is nothing like a difficult encounter with another person to really show you where to reveal. These are great teachers to reveal where somehow you're holding on to your identifications, your notions of how things have to be, the urgency that things, especially this is where the patience translation comes in, the urgency that you have to fix it right now, being sucked into the actual level of the, of the content of the disagreement with the other person rather than being able to stay in a state that allows you to recognize the suffering, the suffering of the other person and what's the entire context of something. Every, let your wisdom come in of everything you know about how you really, how it really helps to work with people. How do people really change their minds? How do people really hear each other? So what we're really working with is actually learning to listen. So the, a huge correlate of patience and forbearance is skill in listening. Skill in simply being there as something Jennifer read, holding the heart still and allowing what's happening to wash over you and wash through you and not immediately trigger the, the response. We uncover these, you know, what, are, what identities of ours are being threatened? You know, is this threatening your sense that you know what's going on, your sense of being a good parent or a competent person or something? What, what, is, what is vibrating in you at the moment? Maybe you have deep core beliefs about the world, how people are, how things should be. Um, what are you needing? What are you, what are you depending on happening? What are you thinking has to happen? So, um, there's really using those opportunities to investigate our own mental structures and our own bodily structures. And then, of course, there's cultivating all sorts of wholesome fabrication, wholesome sankharas or patterns or habits of mind that we've been talking about a lot this morning that Jennifer's brought up. Um, your comfort level with silence. Um, and this, this sense of becoming more and more, all the time you can practice being deeply connected with yourself and being in... in in the sense of presence of what would really, a sort of unshakable sense of presence so that fewer and fewer things are able to get you to disconnect from that sense of inner integrity and wholeness. There's a chance to, in that space from, of silence and having your first response be to check your own inner connectivity with yourself then there's a chance to really step back from that immediate situation and understand that the same processes that are 
would be driving you to reactivity are driving that person in the moment and what's going on there. And you can step back and hold the whole situation in light of compassion with the human difficulty. You know, it's not going to, it's patience because it's not going to get resolved in one conversation. It's not going to get resolved right now. The first step is to be able to tolerate this venting that the other person is doing. Because, you know, it feels very different. You know how it feels when you're really putting out a sort of expression of how you feel at the moment. It feel it can feel very empowering and kind of a, it's kind of a high in it. And it's not at all how it feels to receive that sort of thing. <laughs> so you can learn to recognize that this person is having quite a different experience than you are in the moment. They're having an experience of of letting go of a tremendous amount of pressure and sending it out and and to meet that with more pressure is is just to escalate the whole thing. So how can you how can you let it pass by and listen in this way? Yeah, I, I mean, I, this has, you know, happened many times. I've been, was in a situation where I was working with someone. We were actually managing a retreat together. And and um, they just came in and started just laying into me about how I was interfering in their way they were doing it and how I, I was just trying, they were attributing a lot of motives to me that were not at all my motives. And... It was unusual for me that I was I, I could feel the first thing that I could feel is this person suffering and this that this was for one thing it simply wasn't it, I knew that it wasn't where I was coming from which is another aspect of our practice so since I was not having ill will toward this person I was able to see this as wow this person is having a lot of suffering and then you know, there were a few things maybe that I could have done more skillfully. So I was able to hold the whole thing, you know, just that stepping back instead of instantly defending myself, to be able to step back and see, wow, this is what's happening right now. And then, you know, we slowly, I listened to her for a long time, really lay into me and kind of sat there in quite a bit of silence for a while. And then she sort of ran out of gas and you know, she'd said what she had to say, and then, and then after quite a while, we managed to have a you know kind of restart a conversation on a whole different level about what was going on. Um, yeah. And that's possible in some circumstances, and it's not in others. So this discernment of when when there's an opportunity to let something, you know fully ventilate from the other person and then see where you are and when there isn't. So, you know, there's absolutely no simple formula for this. I read a little story a while back about Michelle Obama and some people that were talking. You know, she has this famous statement, when they go low, we go high. So she was in a little group of people and they were asking her about this and they decided they would role play with this. And so the moderator said, okay, so somebody, here's a quote. Somebody says, I'm so sick of these Me Too women playing the victim card. Suppose somebody said that to you. How do you go high? And so, you know, people around the table offered various suggestions, but they all a little bit had the flavor of a little defensiveness in them. You know, like one woman suggested, well, I would ask, what about a woman's pain or experience frightens you so much? You know, I mean, that's a clear attempt to articulate 
what you feel, but it's not, I don't know, is that likely to defuse or escalate kind of, you know? And so then Michelle says, that came around to Michelle Obama, and she says, me, I wouldn't even respond. I'd say, let's just do the work. If you said that, I know I'm not going to change your mind in the moment. You just feel attacked. I'd have to understand why you feel that way. I'd have to be your friend and get into your pain and hurt and your fears, and that takes time. That's the work that needs to happen around kitchen tables and in our communities. When I say go high, I'm not trying to win the argument. I'm trying to figure out how to understand you and how I can help you understand me. So that's, uh, I think, a beautiful mindset for bringing to these difficult confrontations. So Viktor Frankl says again, everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. So there's this balance between patient cultivating in good times, in in less difficult circumstances, cultivating patience, the value of patience, really letting these values percolate our minds and our hearts, getting to know our bodies, learning what it feels like to be fully embodied and grounded. And then when we meet these edges, we start seeing where is it that we're still clinging, that we're still holding on, where are our remaining triggers, and what can we learn about them, and how can we work with them in this way. So those are my thoughts on this. Um, I'm just, I work with this all the time, and it's better than it was. <laughs> it has a long way to go. So uh, I'd, I'd love to hear from, from some of you who may be quite adept at this or not, or, you know, have any stories or anything you'd like to share in the way of thoughts on the subject of forbearance with... I think especially the interpersonal. It's called forbearance under insult, this example. You know, what what is the interpersonal role of patience? Yeah, Morgan. Oh, I have to read. Um, I really appreciate this because um, I was saying to my partner earlier that what happens with me is that I feel like my only option is to avoid these, like putting myself in a position where I'm going to be, um, uh, I basically just avoid it. Instead of seeing it as, oh, it's an opportunity to practice and allow the situation. I just had one with a neighbor that was so brutal that it was like, um, I couldn't, I, it scares me. It's like I get. It's like you've touched a hot stove, and so I just want to avoid the people and situations where it might happen because I don't know. I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. So this is so helpful because yeah, I have kind of going. Oh, it's an opportunity to practice, and I don't have to say the right thing. I can just. I cannot say anything, or I can, and I can just use it as the opportunity to see what's coming up in me to go deeper in the Dharma and to. Like, it's, it's a total, I'm not doing this justice, but the way you said it really mm-hmm. strikes me that mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. it's almost beautiful instead of being absolutely <laughs> terrifying and t- 
you know, yeah. it's just triggering and make me feel like I'm a failure because I don't know what to say. Yeah. It's an opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> Not too many people probably have had the experience of being met by quiet, you know, when they're when they're when they're venting in that way. So it can be it can be interesting to see what effect that has on people. Just staying staying within yourself, keeping your heart open, see what happens. Yeah. Anybody else have any? to add I wish I had the answer but I do think the Dharma is the answer but (laughs) it's a big subject one thing I mentioned to Conrad at the break that I read and this just reminded me the story of Michelle Obama was so beautiful and it reminded me so Kamala Masters is a, a wonderful teacher in our tradition And um, this is a talk, so I'm not sharing anything about her that she hasn't said on um, line. And she said that some years ago, um, she was being very impatient with this friend of hers. And at one point, he just looked at her and said, Please stop trying to force my petals open. (laughs) (laughs) And she said it stopped her in her tracks. She's like, Oh! And that she never forgot it. So she said it on this talk. And now I never forgot it. Because I think that's so true in this way of, you know, this patience under insult. Or when someone is being impatient. You know, there's various ways of responding. And that was like, oh. And even we might be doing that to ourselves. Trying to force our own petals open. Yeah. Yeah, that's another point I, that all this applies to ourselves <laughs> and our inner our inner critics and our inner voices and our inner parts that are. I just want to mention. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, that um, to be careful of passive aggression in, in that silence, or, or not to be careful, just to realize mm-hmm. I'm being passive aggressive right now in this silence. This silence isn't a peaceful opening accepting this is angry here and and then and that needs to be recognized too thank you that's correct that's right well i had a very painful experience of being harassed at my church um not overtly sexual but clearly that was a subtext and the person was told to leave me alone and for quite a while said he would and then didn't but finally it seems to have been stopped and uh, although I see him frequently and I have been kind of very puzzled by how much it still bothers me even though it's not happening anymore and so just somehow as you express the, the kind of questions one might ask yourself I realized that I have been unwilling to accept that that happened to me. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that's where the work will be. Yeah. <laughs> but at least recognizing yeah. it feels very yeah. helpful. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that reminds me, Chris said there's these three facets that are described in the tradition of patience. And the third one is acceptance of truth. And I found that like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. So thanks for bringing that up. 
Yeah. Well, maybe we can move into one last breakout session here. And... All right, let's have uh, groups of three and one group of two. Or, no, groups of four. Yeah, two groups of four and one group of three. That's better. And... um, Yeah, what I'm what I'm suggesting that you do is look back on a time when you reacted strongly. Some of you have been doing that. Look back on a time when you did react strongly to something that happened or was said to you. And see if you can see if you can feel now what what was your bodily rea- where was the strongest bodily reaction? What what got shut down? And if you can see or say anything about what might have what you feel like was, you know, w- w- what was triggered in you? What was, what was, what core beliefs maybe or identities were hit? And just the the most important thing is how could you practice if that happened, if something similar to that happened? Where would it be useful to really work to be, to have a wiser response next time? Maybe a certain you know, finding certain areas of your body where you feel like you could be there or working with silence or working with, you know, metta, working, looking more deeply at some things that you believe. Does that make sense? Just reflecting on some incident and what what did you learn from it? What kind of Dharma lesson do you think was in that incident about where you, what was the basis of your reactivity and how could you practice with that so let's just take two or three minutes kind of in silence to think about that and feel our way into it before we get into groups see what you'd like to share and there's no of course ever any reason to share anything you're not comfortable with Sometimes I find it helpful to envision how would a very wise person, somebody you have as a kind of archetype of wisdom in these situations, what would it feel like to be that person? And then see if that opens up something in you that could be cultivated. You can bring to mind maybe 
how you were feeling this morning after David's beautiful guided meditation. Maybe bringing up these difficult things has in fact shut down something that was opened up earlier. changed my mind let's go back to groups of two this feels like too much to go to have four people trying to do this and let's let's have a little more intimate ability to share about this is that all right all right if there needs to be a group of three fine okay well love to hear if anyone's willing to share anything that's come up around this or something Um, I'm very grateful to say that um, in the thing that I had brought up about having been harassed, I did feel a shift. I felt this relaxation in my shoulders. And I was struck with how I always want to understand in my head. But I don't understand why I felt that shift. I don't really understand why I'm stuck where I am, but it feels very good. Very good. I'm practicing patience here right now in terms of not maybe having enough time to come to a, what I would call a Buddha-like response to the situation. But I was getting there, right? <laughs> I still was saying, but I was right, you know? <laughs> um, and there's this real desire to be free of the need to be right. Doing things right in this case, you know, my trigger is you're doing that wrong or you're, you're not doing it right, you know. Um, so just being able to recognize that real desire I have and being patient with that, I think, is a, is a big part of it. Um, 
that I really want to let go of that need. Um, Meantime, there it is. Uh, And uh, it feels right now like just being patient with that is, is, uh, is is a wonderful goal. There it is. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> yeah, I did reach that point. There, there it is. <laughs> yeah. Did you repeat what you said? Want or need what? I just said, there it is. You know, it's a want or a need. Oh. You know, those things are, we're, we're human. Those aren't going to go away. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. they just, uh, you know. Yeah, Yeah. or you don't need to be the kind of person who doesn't need to have wants and needs anymore. (laughs) Not that they're going to get satisfied, but you know, there they are. So just, you know, yeah. 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 Yeah, and Susan said, you know, you didn't figure it out, it just happened. And I think that's, that's a great point. We can't figure these things out. The more we try to figure them out, the more dug in we can get mm-hmm. into a whirlpool. So just, you know, yeah, a lot of this just happens in the body, working with the body. Yeah. Letting it be in the body and feeling okay with it here. And uh, letting, somehow letting, letting the body take care of it if it can. We're just living with ambiguity. Yeah. Did you have something, Jen? I was just seeing that the Dalai Lama calls patience an inner protection. So I love that. So when we're feeling like, oh, right, it just, it's hard. It's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's my inner protection. Because that's, hap- that's what is needing now is like the protection when we feel upset. Um, There's a poem that begins, um, Be patient with the difference that you carry. And I really relate to that because sometimes I can't help what bubbles up from my brain pan. And I can't help it. And just to be patient with that, with my um, differences with you with my differences, with what's going on. Just be patient with that difference that I carry. Mm-hmm. Really has helped me occasionally just not, just stop, to, stop trying to fix everything, mm-hmm. including myself, including myself. That's beautiful, I love that. This is kind of repeating, but and sometimes, you know, we just hold this and just hold it and hold it and hold it 
and an insight happens and it lets go, like what happened with Susan. Mm -hmm. It just lets go, just through our patience. Okay, so the next topic, the next parami is truth. Ooh. <laughs> Haven't you always wondered what's the truth? <laughs> well, we're not going to tell you this month. <laughs> anyway, we probably, as usual, have different perspectives on it, so we'll be sending out a variety of readings on different ways of understanding the parami of truth. And what? Uh, yeah, right, 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 definitely, yes, yes, the difference that we carry, yeah, I love that, right. And happy Valentine's Day. Yes, Woo. thank you all. <laughs>